This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome back. I'm Saika Choudhury, Executive Director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a Professor of Management here at Wharton. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm pleased to welcome to the show my next guest, Katie Appel-Duda. Katie co-leads Bloomberg Philanthropy's Government Innovation Grant Programs, which help leaders and their teams to better solve problems and share promising ideas that improve, improve life for residents. Before joining Bloomberg Philanthropies, Katie served as Assistant Communications Director to New York City Mayor Bloomberg and as a policy advisor at the Department of Homeless Services. Katie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, absolutely. Great to be here. It's really great to shift the focus on, on cities. Um, but I'm curious first for you to just describe for our listeners what the Government Innovation Program at Bloomberg Philanthropies is and perhaps some of the innovation initiatives in cities that you're currently working on. Sure. Uh, so to start off, you know, Mike Bloomberg and our CEO, Patty Harris, have tasked all of us at Bloomberg Philanthropies to strive every day to ensure better, longer lives for the greatest number of people. Um, that's a really bold mission, and it's one that we know we just absolutely can't achieve if we aren't partnering with local governments around the world. So our government innovation programs are focused exclusively on cities. We know that cities are really on the front lines of our most pressing global challenges. I mean, you name it climate change, homelessness, criminal justice reform, economic opportunity. Um, it's our mayors and our city leaders that are just faced with those issues day in, day out. And what we're trying to do is really equip them with the tools and the support that they need so that they can really address these challenges and deliver impact for residents. And core to that is a focus on data and evidence, a focus on collaboration, and a focus on innovation. So we're working with, um, at this point, I think more than 200 cities around the globe providing grants and technical assistance on those particular areas to really equip them with the skills that they need uh, to deliver impact. Yeah, I'm curious to hear about some of those. What are perhaps some of the most interesting innovation initiatives that you have going on right now? Just to give us a sense. Yeah. So one of the ones that's really top of mind for this for me this week is our Innovation Teams program. So there we're providing direct support to cities to fund a dedicated team of people who report to the mayor and their job day in, day out. They're just living, breathing innovation. And what that means is they are, as I mentioned, reporting to the mayor. So they're kind of sitting outside that hierarchy of you know any particular department. And what's really exciting about that is the really pressing challenges Uh, the things that really need innovation and new solutions, they're not problems that sit neatly in one department, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're problems that span departments. So we're funding these teams of people who are spanning departments and bringing really deep skills on better understanding problems, working with residents to understand those problems, testing and prototyping solutions, and then taking the best of those solutions to scale. 
the reason it's really top of mind for me this week is yeah. we actually just yesterday announced a really big partnership in Israel on that program. So we've funded three innovation teams in cities in Israel, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem, and Beersheba. And what's been really incredible is there's been so much demand from yeah. other cities in Israel. The national government has seen the success in these three cities. And so we now have a partnership with the national government where they're going to directly fund staff in about a dozen more cities over the next few years so that they can really take this approach to scale. Tell me more about these teams and what kind yeah. of problems um, they solve. I mean, do you train these teams? Are you providing just the funding for it? How does it work? Yeah, great question. So we are we're providing funding um, for the the staff themselves, and we're also you know helping cities to think about what might the right candidate look like uh, for one of these roles. So we're not actually hiring the people. We're not you know making decisions on who takes the job, but we're helping them scope the jobs, think about the skills and expertise needed, and then once they bring people on board, we absolutely are partners in helping to train them, and importantly, not just train them, but connect them into a global network of people who are doing these same types of jobs um, in other cities. Oh, fascinating. You've just uh, now tell me about one particular challenge that a team is solving and how maybe they're working with a team in another city to um, work together on, on learning. Yeah. Um, so Tel Aviv is one of the teams in Israel that's been particularly successful. And one of the challenges that they were first tasked with by their mayor was to think about the really high cost of living there. When you look at a sort of global indices of cost of living, Tel Aviv is way up there You know, with New York, San Francisco, um, and the others that you sort of typically come to mind when you think about that. Yeah. And so they were looking at cost of living and particularly cost of living for young families because they want to keep them in their city. They don't want them to move out to the suburbs. And one of the things that they really narrowed in on through their deep research was the cost of things related to raising their kids. It wasn't necessarily the cost of school itself, but it was all of the ancillary things. I mean, I have a couple of young kids. I don't know if you have kids, but all those <laughs> other little things that add up, right? Like mm-hmm. there's the after school, there's the lunch, there were fees for um, the lockers in the school buildings. And so they really got deep into that issue, spent a lot of time with residents to understand what those issues were. And it enabled them to come up with a really targeted set of solutions that we are anticipating, they're anticipating are going to save families about $1,400 a year per kid, um, which is big. Right? That is substantial. You know, really meaningful um, yeah. to a young family with children. So that's one concrete um, example from Tel Aviv. And what's awesome about the network is not only are they communicating you know, with their peers in Israel, you know, in Jerusalem and Beersheba, but they're connecting with teams that we're funding in Los Angeles, in Durham, North Carolina, in Syracuse, New York. And they're all sharing, you know, not just what they're learning about the problems, um, which is helpful and sort of allows the next person taking it on to leapfrog to some findings faster, um, but also the solutions where they're seeing success. Yeah, and that's that's very, very powerful um, to be able to get the synergies uh, of the learning, but also the solutions, like you say. Mm-hmm. I think that's really key because at one level, like you alluded to, we are facing similar problems, even though there are specific contexts in different cities uh, around right. the country and around the world as well. Now, how, I mean, how do 
these teams work? Because, you know, when we think about mayor's offices and governments, mm-hmm. we often think about bureaucracy. And I'm not I'm not even saying it in a very well, there's some negative connotations with that, sure. but I don't mean it in the sense. I think it's sometimes a necessary evil. It's just the structure of these things. So mm-hmm. is it that these teams operate autonomously? Do these mayors basically have a uh, mindset that you work with, uh, the ones that you work with that say that, look, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to have a, a separate team doing different things. Or how do they actually change the machinery? Um, because typically we have bureaucracy in those kinds of offices and departments. Absolutely. Um, I will say, you know, one thing is, you know, we are only working with cities where, as you mentioned, like there, there's a mayor who is really bold, who's really wanting to bring new thinking, to bring fresh ideas to their city, right? So there's mm-hmm. already sort of a, a tone that's been set of doing things differently and trying new ways of solving problems to deliver better results for you know, the people that they serve. Um, so that is definitely, you know, a real important piece. But the other thing is that these teams will not be successful if they are, you know, just a team of experts who sit in their office and, you know, dream up ideas on their own. Um, They absolutely will fail if they aren't working really collaboratively with all of their partners. So if you think about um, one of the issues, actually, that we've seen a number of cities work on is here in the States is police recruitment and hiring. It's a real issue in a lot of police departments across the country um, and obviously a really important one with public safety implications. And so an innovation team is never going to be successful on that if they're not working really closely with their colleagues in the police department, with their colleagues in HR. Um, And so one of the most important things and sort of skills and requirements that we think about for these teams is how do they work with others? Um, How can they be thoughtful about celebrating the expertise and the great work of their partners who've been in city government often longer than they have? And how can they bring new resources? Because frankly, um, it's not as if there aren't other people all over government who want to innovate. I think you know, yeah. most people we meet are in public service for a reason. They want to deliver impact you know, for the people in their community. But all too often, it's just the day-to-day of their jobs is so all-consuming that they don't have the time and space to step back and think about big ideas. What these teams do is come in and partner with them and allow them to tap into that um, and provide added value. Wonderful. I want to continue on this thread, but I want to remind our listeners, in case they're just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio on Sirius XM 132. I'm Saika Choudhury, but more importantly, I'm joined on the line by Katie Apelduda from Bloomberg Philanthropies, and we're having a fascinating conversation on innovation in cities. So you were talking about how these teams operate, the need for collaboration and breaking down these barriers. Mm-hmm. So does, I mean, it, it immediately as, a, as someone who studies management and innovation and incumbency in organizations, we do it more in the corporate setting, but but mm-hmm. governments function the same way. Incentives, the idea of incentives comes up immediately and just structures and processes. I mean, don't those go to get in the way? Incentives for, um, do you mean financial incentives? For example. So, let, yeah. well, let, yeah. let me separate the two, you know, sure. so there's sort of the incentive, why should I collaborate with other people in other departments? Am I measured or going to be rewarded that way? Got right. It. That's one mm-hmm. piece. And let's start with that. Then I'll get to the structures and processes part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the, um, it's a seemingly small thing, but a really important thing that we've really stressed when we're providing onboarding and training to these teams, um, they're, you know, going to be working, they're going to be working, um, Um, hopefully, on some of their city's biggest challenges and ultimately, hopefully, really achieving big things um, for things that really matter to residents. But they can't be the stars of the show. It's really important that they give the credit to the people in the departments who are already on the line for delivering that impact. 
And so that can be hard, right? I think mm-hmm. in some cities it gets really exciting. You know, we've got this uh, flashy new team and, and we're going to, you know, put them out there all over the place. And, you know, we've seen that happen too, for sure. Um, but <laughs> those that are most successful are operating often a bit more behind the scenes and really allowing their colleagues um, in departments to shine. And I think that's a big part of, of where we see success on the collaboration. And do they get rewarded or recognized in some way for doing that? The teams themselves, I think, and, you know, the folks in the departments as well, I think what we really often see is they're they're in there because they feel reward from delivering results for residents. And I think what's really incredible is the folks who are coming into these innovation roles, sometimes they have, you know, experience in city government, but a lot of times we see people who haven't been in government before. And I think they don't always equate innovation with the public sector. And time and time again, when we have folks come into city government who haven't been there before, I think they're really pleased and excited by the enthusiasm of people in the city who really are hungry for new skills and new ways of working because they want to achieve impact for the people they serve. No, that's really good to hear. Um, Also to perhaps refresh the image of some of these workers. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly people working in public service and in cities are not all self-interested bureaucrats angling for narrow political gains, right? Which Mm -hmm. is sometimes at least one characterization. But there are good people um, there and people with ideas. They just need the environment to be able to flourish and the the methods and means to be able to do so. Now, are there, as you see these teams operate in cities like Tel Aviv, for example, or elsewhere, and as these different uh, programs mature and have impact, are there any structural or process changes do you see that you see as a result? For example, do people shuffle departments around a little bit or change the way, say, resource allocation is done in terms of process or anything like that? Because those are interesting levers that organizations can use in order to create environments that are very different. It's a great question. And I think, you know, if I look at some of the teams that have been operating for a longer time, I think we're absolutely starting to see that. Um, I think the city of Los Angeles is an interesting one um, and a team that we work really closely with. So they were one of a number of cities to receive a grant to first start up their innovation team. It was towards the start of Mayor Garcetti's administration. They've worked on a number of really interesting issues. They're one of the ones who worked on police recruitment, as I mentioned. They're working on homelessness. Uh, They're starting to think about the future of work. And we initially funded, I can't remember quite the precise number of people, but we, we funded a relatively small group of people. At this point, not only have they picked up the funding for all of the people that were initially grant funded, which, by the way, is something we've seen in every city that we've ever funded. Um, They've picked up staff on the city lines because they've seen the value of it. But in L.A. and in some of the other cities we've seen, they've also really expanded the office. And that's been really interesting. And I think one of the things that we're increasingly seeing, which is really interesting and I think something to follow, is how cities like LA and others are starting to combine these new emerging skills and practices in city government uh, so that they can work more collaboratively together. So, for example, you'll have a human-centered designer working alongside a data scientist, working alongside someone with expertise in behavioral science, alongside the analysts who are thinking about performance management. And it's really interesting when you start to see those things come together, because if you think about it in a really high-functioning 
organization, if you have a really robust performance management structure and you're able to assess how you're doing you know, against targets that you've set and you're also able to surface where you're not doing well and where there are opportunities and you can flag those things for a team of experts with skills in behavioral science and innovation and design to immediately start researching and surfacing new solutions, it can yeah. be really powerful. Yeah, that is very powerful. It really resonates with me from a lot of organizational research. We also mm -hmm. think about having diversity, right? Absolutely. Um, and diversity in mindsets. We, we sometimes equate it with uh, ethnicity or gender uh, and so forth, and that's important. But uh, really in mindsets, uh, it's really important in different disciplines. Uh, and what you're saying really resonates with me. One of the reasons I was asking you these questions is because when I sort of teach about um, incumbent organizations, you know, think about the big companies who lose their way, like mm -hmm. the Nokias and the Blackberries and so forth after some time, and some of them bounce back like the IBMs, I always think about structures, processes, people, and incentives as four mm -hmm. levers that you have at your disposal. And, and uh, you, you kind of describe that, which is really powerful um, in this as well. Now, how do you work or partner, um, you know, some of this, you talked about different stakeholders and managing different stakeholders within departments, but of course, there are some across as well, and the city has to work with so many different parties, residents, but also other vendors and the like. One particular thing that I was thinking about is that you've got all these different new companies that have come in, which affect the city life in some way. And you could see them positively or negatively. I'm curious to hear your assessment. Uber, Airbnb, etc. cetera. Um, what do you see as their roles in both creating better lives in the cities for the residents, but also in innovatively creating sustainable cities? So I think, look, there's there's always going to be disruption, right? And so, um, you know, right now, absolutely, you, know, you think of the Ubers, the Lyfts, the Airbnbs. And I think so often the narrative about that when it comes to these technologies in cities, we talk about these as things that are sort of happening to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the most important thing that city leaders can do is really get a seat at the table and fo focus on how these technologies can work for them. So, you know, rideshare. How might you think about rideshare? Can help solve how it can help solve the first and last mile problem. Mm -hmm. How might Airbnb be utilized to respond to crisis? And you know, I think what we're seeing in cities that are successful, they're really trying to be, um, excuse the pun, but like in the driver's seat um, yeah, on, these, yeah, on these conversations. And so, South Bend actually is a really interesting one. Um, one of the things, another program I haven't mentioned that we do is something called the Mayor's Challenge, and it's a, a big competition where we're really asking asking cities to come forward with bold new ideas um, mm -hmm. that haven't been tried before. South Bend is one of the winners of our latest mayor's challenge. And what they brought forward was a really um, thoughtful, sort of curated, tailored solution to a very specific problem when it came to transportation and low-income shift workers. So South Bend is not a city with a robust transit system, right? And mm -hmm. um, most cities are that way, right? That we're not all, you know, New York and Chicago. Yeah. And that's challenging. And it's even more challenging when you have shift work that's, you know, not happening on a traditional schedule. Sure. And what they were really seeing was it wasn't that people had a problem most days getting to work. You know, they maybe there was one car for the family or they were carpooling with a colleague. Um, and most days that was working for them. But if there was an unexpected something that happened, the car broke down, you know, another family member needed to use the car, they'd miss a shift. Mm. That happens a couple times, they lose their job. That's bad for them. It's bad for the employer um, and the costs that they're paying, um, you know, to, to bring on new people, to onboard new people that turnover costs money. So South Bend's idea and what they're 
testing now, which is really exciting and cities should really be watching it, is partnerships with rideshare companies yeah. like Lyft. Lyft is their first, I think, and employers who are going to help offset part of the cost of a new system for backup rides. And so it's it's not rocket science, right? Like I, I hope as I'm saying it, like it it's really when we read the application, it really struck us as a really smart, targeted idea. Mm-hmm. And so we're excited with what will happen from it. But I also think it's just a great example of a city really thinking about how can I leverage these disruptive technologies to help achieve outcomes that are real priorities for me and my administration and my residents. And it makes a lot of sense because the ecosystem approach is probably necessary, right, with all the different mm-hmm. parties involved internally and externally uh, in order to solve some of the most pressing problems. And if you can be very precise about the problem, Problem, then you can also leverage these benefits and these these vendors, these new companies mm-hmm. to do it. Which brings me to another question, which is, you know, oftentimes nowadays we think of technology as a solution. And um, technology really helps in, in creating that. But we also have this digital divide problem. Do you see that as an issue? Um, how do we overcome it? Um, the digital divide in communities? Yes, in communities, you know, to take advantage of these things. You know, we need smartphones, we need bandwidth, we need all these things in order to solve these kinds of problems, even to call the Uber and the Lyft and, and do all these things, right? And I'm not sure everyone has access to that. Perhaps in the States, the problem is one level, but if you think about emerging markets, you know, I know you work globally as well, that's a very different type of challenge. Um, absolutely. I will say, you know, just thinking about the specific work that we're doing globally, um, it's not one that has come up a, a ton, um, but I don't mean to suggest that it means it's not a problem. I think it might just be more the nature of the work we're doing. Yeah. Um, but one thing it made me think of, actually, we're doing this really cool project in Barcelona, um, and they were another winner of a challenge that we did in Europe. And it's a, it's a tablet-based sort of app technology um, that also has human components, but it's about Uh, reducing social isolation of seniors. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that solution had to be thoughtful partnerships on the ground in Barcelona um, with not just our support, but other corporate partnerships to provide tablets for free to elderly people so that they could have them and be a part of the effort. And then not just the technology um, and the the access to the tablet, but someone who can help them use it so Mm -hmm. they're comfortable with it and leverage it. So that's one example of something that we've seen and I think it's, you know, cities that are successful, no matter what the challenge is, are really thoughtful about how they can plug gaps. And often that's partnerships. Yeah, I love that that note. Final question I want to ask you in maybe 30 seconds or so is that you've dedicated your life to public service, but also impact on cities and residents. What advice would you have to MBAs, for example, business school students and the like who want to go into this field? Well, the fr- I love that you asked that question. Um, one of the first things I would say is just not to overlook it. Um, I think public service, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I think sometimes we get a bad rap. Um, but when you see someone who's never been in local government and who has expertise um, in data, in analytics, in management, and they have the opportunity to apply those skills to things that really matter for people, um, like public safety, right? So imagine how it feels to be a part of an effort that reduces violent crime in your community. The reward from that is pretty profound. And so I think my my best piece of advice would be don't overlook it. Um, Get in there. um, Talk to people who are doing these really interesting new roles in Mm -hmm. government. They're everywhere. They're not just in big cities. Um, And we need the talent for sure. 
And I think you're a shining example. It's a great note to end on, and I believe students now are increasingly looking for meaningful opportunities. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 